From Washington, D.C., this is On the Ground. As Tyree Nichols, the most recent high-profile target of police terror, is laid to rest, we speak to historian Gerald Horn about the links between violence inside and outside of the United States. In these settler regimes, be they Israel or the United States, they involve uprooting the indigenous in the first instance, which of course involves violence. So they are ignited by violence. The brutal beating by Memphis police captured on surveillance camera reinforces the systemic nature of police abuse and offers more proof that the system cannot be reformed. We will go to the streets of D.C. where protests erupted on the night when the video evidence of Nichols' murder was released. Police cannot be reformed because the institution is fundamentally built on the state's sole authority to use violence as they see fit. Police are not accountable to the law and therefore do not enforce it. Who keeps us safe? We keep us safe. 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 Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. I'm Esther Ivarum. Well, Wednesday's funeral for Tyree Nichols transformed that city's Mississippi Boulevard Christian Church into a grand stage where the nation's grief, culture of violence, and evidence of police terror were on full display. The Reverend Al Sharpton, who delivered the eulogy, placed Nichols' murder at the hands of five black police officers in historical terms. Dr. King... It came to Memphis to fight for garbage workers, city employees that had no safety. Two had been killed with a malfunction. And here we are 55 years later, looking at the balcony where Martin Luther King shed his blood for city workers for black city workers to be able to work in the police department, work in sanitation. And the reason why Mr. and Mrs. Wells, what happened to Tyree is so personal to me, is that five black men that wouldn't have had a job in the police department would not ever be thought of to be in an elite squad. In the city that Dr. King lost his life, not far away from that balcony, you beat a brother to death. There's nothing more insulting and offensive to those of us that fight to open doors that you walk through those doors and act like the folks we had to fight for to get you through them doors. Sharpton also invited Vice President Kamala Harris to the pulpit to speak. And in that moment, Harris embodied the hypocritical relationship of the Biden administration and corporate Democrats to African-Americans. Over the protests of activists, many of whom held their nose and voted for Biden, he has budgeted more funding for police, even as police in the United States killed more people than ever in 2022. Black Lives Matter activists were also key critics of Harris during her failed run for the presidency in 2020, 
when they outed her poor record of support for the most basic police accountability measures while she was district attorney of San Francisco and later while California state attorney general. Citing bogus charges of anti-Semitism, House Republicans on Thursday voted to remove Representative Ilhan Omar of Minnesota from the Chamber's Foreign Affairs Committee, a step that Democratic lawmakers called Islamophobic and racist. Though a member of the so-called Progressive Caucus, Omar has towed the line with her fellow Democrats, supporting the proxy war against Russia and Ukraine, condemning left activists opposing the war, and even supporting the bombing of her own native country of Somalia. On the flip side, she has often been a singular voice in Congress, speaking up for imprisoned journalist Julian Assange, introducing legislation to overhaul their Orwellian Espionage Act, and defending the human rights of Palestinians living under apartheid Israel occupation. Environmental justice activists are condemning the Biden administration's decision to move one step closer to approving the ConocoPhillips Willow Project, which would bring at least 219 wells, 267 miles of pipeline, and 35 miles of roads to a vast public lands area in Alaska's Western Arctic. It is estimated that the project would admit more than 280 million metric tons of climate pollution over the next 30 years. The organization Earth Justice is urging the administration to select no action on the project as opposed to an approval of it. Earth Justice attorney Jeremy Lieb said, quote, Biden will be remembered for what he did to tackle the climate crisis. And as things stand today, it is not too late for him to step up and pull the plug on this carbon bomb. Two demonstrations are planned in D.C. for Friday, February 3rd and Saturday, February 4th to honor the victims murdered by the right wing coup government in Peru and to reject the coup government. The February 3rd protest is 3 p.m. at the Peruvian Embassy, 1700 Massachusetts Avenue Northwest. And the February 4th vigil is at 3 p.m. in front of the White House. And there's a new book analyzing the uprising known as the Arab Spring. Chantal James has more. With this year marking the 11th anniversary of the Arab Spring, many have turned to look back on where the Arab world now finds itself in relation to authoritarianism and state repression. One volume doing so is Struggles for Political Change in the Arab World, Regimes, Oppositions, and External Actors After the Spring, edited by Lisa Blades, Amr Hazawi, and Hisham Salam, and published by the University of Michigan Press. A week ago, the Institute for Middle East Studies at George Washington University held a day-long series of panels featuring contributors to the book that highlighted the fate of resistance in various Middle Eastern and North African countries. Blades spoke on the book's exploration of factors that thwarted the uprisings. The book and the events to commemorate it cover Egypt, Morocco, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, Syria, Algeria, Sudan, Lebanon, Iraq, Jordan, Yemen, and Tunisia, and they consider the role of international actors in subverting protest. For On the Ground, this is Chantal James. And of course, all around the DMV, this D.C. area, and around the country where our show is heard, there are 
Black History Month events starting this weekend and moving to the end of the month. Check local listings and the activists in your area for those events. And those are headlines and happenings. Stay with us. written many directions for the aid that was given they gave us pieces of silver and pieces of gold to tell me who paid reparations on my soul many fine speeches Well, the brutal murder of Nichols by Memphis police captured on surveillance camera reinforces the systemic nature of police abuse and renews calls for a complete overhaul of the country's 18,000 individual police departments. On the ground was on the streets of D.C., where protests erupted on the night that video evidence was released of Nichols' murder. The first voices are Black Lives Matter D.C. core organizer and activist April Goggins and Nini Tay and Faye of the D.C. Safety Squad, speaking near Franklin Park in downtown D.C. I know that this gathering was not just for Kyrie uh, Nichols, but also for Stop Cop City and just really all the violence. You know, I can't even keep straight. All the, you know, something in Los Angeles, so all the murders. So just give me of what are the things that you share with people tonight? Because these were five black officers that, some, that somehow that's, that makes it different. And we wanted to point out that this institutional behavior, that this is a, an institution that thrives off of black people. But, you know, it's up to us. And it's up to us to remember while we uplift individual cases, we also have to remember that this continues because it's a system. It's a system that can't be removed. Troy was shot and killed by an off-duty FBI agent on December the 7th, 2022. Kevin Hargrave, Sears, was shot and killed by D.C. police officer Bernardo Ataro in July 2022. We still calling for his fine. He's still on vacation, D.C. tax dollars. While police out here doing this, he get to sit at home and get paid. Shame. Shame. At least, at least they sitting in cars and working. He's sitting at home on the beach somewhere. I don't know how I, been, I did go to his house. He wasn't home. I'll be clear, I went to go knock on his door. I did. I did. 23-year-old Lazarus Wilson was killed by off-duty MPD Commander Officer Jason Bagshaw, who has a history of violence against protesters. We calling for them to be fired. We calling for transparency. We calling for accountability. We don't know. Y'all don't know. And we and y'all not doing enough to get the answers. We need the media to get the fight with us. Get the answers. Get, yeah, get the file report. 
for that for that information, just like we fighting. Y'all want me to get y'all the answers. Y'all give me the answers. That was so much with Nene, what you know. What you know? <laughs> I need you to help me. Help me to help you. This is what this means. Help me and let me help you. That's the DC Safety Squad logo. Help me and let me help you. That's real. Police cannot be, be reformed. April just told y'all that. They're not going to dismiss their own tools. Police cannot be reformed because the institution is fundamentally built on the state's sole authority to use violence as they see fit. Yes. Police are not accountable to the law and therefore do not enforce it. Last but not least, police cannot be reformed part two. Police are not only figures through which the state expresses oppressive and punitive power, the entire system is guilty. The whole damn system is what? The whole damn system is what? Reclaiming safety does not mean refunding and soft social policing. Reclaiming safety does not mean softening the police system. It means to reimagine safety and abolish them. We're going to build a community where we literally going to keep each other safe. Reclaiming safety does not mean shifting from a regimen of mass incarceration to a regimen of mass supervision. Right, that's right. So be clear on that too. That's right. So with that being said, I'm going to call Faye up so she can let, let y'all know who the D.C. Safety Squad is and what we doing and what we building here in D.C. And it's going to be lit because we're going to have alternatives to calling the police because the police don't keep us safe. Who keeps us safe? We 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 keep us safe. White silence. White silence. Hey everyone, my name is Faye. My pronouns are they them. I am an organizer with the Good Trouble Cooperative. I am a direct action lead with Harriet's Wildest Dreams. And I'm so angry I have to speak to y'all again. Take your time. Take it. You got this, boo. We love you. So much. So many of us have been fighting in DC and nationally for years for accountability for so many names so many names that people have just forgotten and now we have even more and so as we're here and we're talking about what it means to fight about what it means to actually create change what it means to look forward towards a society that is not built upon the oppression of black and brown bodies what that means is creating alternative systems. Woo! What that means is creating alternatives to policing. Woo! And here in DC, we are starting the DC Safety Squad, the mobilization team that is going to be an alternative to policing, that is going to respond to community needs with care and compassion and not violence. Talk about it. Not death. But actually understanding that our people, when they reach out, the few times that we reach out, it's because we need help. 
And so the DC Safety Squad is going to be a pushing effort in DC to make sure that we are responding to people's needs correctly. Yes, yes. Because this system has never worked. Yes, yes. We live in a country where we pour money, more money into policing, into our military than anything else. Not our educational systems, not our housing, not our unhoused. Talk about it. And still, we're convinced that pouring trillions and trillions of more dollars into these same systems that have failed us since this country's inception is going to be the solution, it's not. Lies. Join organizations like Good Trouble Co-op, like Until Freedom DC, like Freedom Fighters DC, all these organizations that are doing the work in the community, giving back to our people and doing the work to protect them because who keeps us safe? We keep us safe! Who keeps us safe? We keep us safe! Get involved. If it's not the DC Safety Squad, which is going to be once again, an alternative to policing in the city, we're going to respond to requests for help and intervention. Then however you can, because we all have things to contribute that are meaningful. It's about finding your place. And I encourage you all to take this opportunity to yes, rage against the system. Be f mad, be angry. And then tomorrow, do something to fix it. Yup. Thank you. Ashe. So I'm gonna read something that a statement that we saw online today that's really important because black mental health is real, right? Research has shown that black folks suffer PTSD from watching videos of blacks being killed by police. It's, it's phenomenal called Link Fate, where we see ourselves and loved ones in the place of the victim. Be careful watching Tyree Nichols murder video. Protect your mind, your body, and your soul, your emotional state. We can tell y'all not to watch it, black people, but just know you're getting numb to it. I witnessed kids, Curry, Karan Blake, Casket on Monday. Kids, and they was carrying it like it was normal. That, that's not normal. I had to sit in my car and cry because they cured his body to be bird, and they was just curing it. Little kids smarter than him, and they just, it was so normal, and I don't want to normalize that. And we shouldn't normalize that. We shouldn't normalize that. My squad watched all these young, young children cry and go in and out the church, and the government had no grief counselors or nothing there to help those kids with those emotions or where to put them. So then if that kid come out and do something, what did you do that day? You knew it was a youth, you knew it was a funeral. You knew that the youth were, were, were like traumatized by the death. How did you support the kids in DC? Support the community. Yeah, where you at? How did you keep them safe? You didn't. Exactly. Exactly. But we did, we did DC Safety Squad because we reached back out and we asked, we asked our healers to put them in place and any, any kid at any of those schools, they can let us know we sending a healer to that house or a therapist to that house. Because that's what we do, we keep each other safe. Yes, yes. So we got this song because we know that they watching. Yes. Because once our loved ones leave us, they still with us. Yes. And I remember the police told me one time, y'all, 
everybody was gone ahead of me. They was like, you better go, your people gone. I said, you don't see all these people with me? You don't see her yet? You don't see Ida? You don't see, you don't see Rosa Park? I ain't never alone. Talk about it. I ain't never alone. You see me by myself? No. Ancestors watching, I know they're watching. Ancestors watching, I know, I know. Ancestors watching, I know they're watching. Ancestors watching, I know, I know. Ancestors watching, I know they're watching. Ancestors watching, I know, I know. Ancestors watching, I know they're watching. Ancestors watching, I know, I know. Yeah, we price. Kevin Hart, Grace Shield. Ancestors watching, I know they're watching. Ancestors watching, I know, I know. Tommy Nichols. Ancestors watching, I know they're watching. Ancestors watching, I know, I know. Ancestors watching, I know they're watching. Ancestors watching, I know, I know. That list can go on forever, but know that they're with us and we're, we're going to forever say their names. India Kaga. Sisters watching, I know they're watching, I know, I know, I know they're watching, sisters watching, I know they're 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 watching, So thank y'all for holding space with us and please keep those people uplifted and the work continues like we said get plugged up get plugged in and the work doesn't stop tonight this work is continuous we're gonna be free or we're gonna die follow um blm memphis um on, and, and for for the work that's happening in memphis stop cop city for um atlanta to keep up with the work there and our work is going to continue it don't stop right here it doesn't stop right here it's continuous and if we don't have what you see build it and yeah, the people will yeah. come does it gotta come does down gotta to this, come down to this? In order to see In things for what they are, for what it is. We still might not be free up in this piece or treated very equally as far as I can see. Hell no, we ain't all right. We ain't all right. Now all these press conferences, breaking news alert, just in. 
While your government looks for a war to win Flames for the blame game, names where I begin Walls closing and get some help to my kin Who cares? While the rest of the Bush nation stands As the drama unfolds, as we the people under the stairs 50% of this son of a Bush nation Is like hating on Haiti and setting up assassinations Ask Pat Robinson, quiz him mm. Smells, Smells like, like terrorism. terrorism Racism in the news, still one-sided views Saying whites find food uh. Pray for the National Guard who be ready to shoot Because they be saying us blacks loot What is your boy son of a bush doing? <laughs> Nerd New Orleans in the morning, afternoon, and night Hell no, no. Hell no. We Hell ain't no. alright New Orleans in the morning, afternoon, and night Hell, Hell no. no We ain't alright New Orleans in the morning, afternoon, and night Hell no, Hell no. We ain't alright the police killed over 1,100 people last year. Talk about it. 1,176, roughly, people killed by the police in 2022. That is the highest number that has been found ever since they've been recording these numbers. But they want to talk to us about peace. You know, that reminds me of 2020. Specifically, June 1st, 2020. What was going on? A man named George Floyd was killed, struck down in an act of racist police terror in Minneapolis, Minnesota, by an officer named Derek Chauvin. Right? And there was a rebellion against racism that exploded in the streets of the United States of America. I'm talking about millions of people. Many of them for the first time declaring that they would no longer stand for the racist police terror that happens far too often in this country. So what did the so-called progressive government of D.C. do? Well, Mayor Muriel Bowser, a so-called progressive, she implemented a curfew. Y'all remember that? She implemented a curfew and what that did was allow for Donald Trump to mobilize federal troops and other agencies to attack us right here on this square. I was here, and I know some of y'all were as well, but they want to talk to us about peace. Let's think about what happened during 2020, because it is directly connected to what's happening right now. You see, the ruling class in this country, both Democrats and Republicans, tried to crush this movement militarily. They tried to crush the movement for black lives violently. And even after all that violence that they carried out against us on June 1st, 2020, pepper spray, rubber bullets, flashbang grenades, did that stop us? No. Did we run away and hide because we were scared? No. We came back the very next day. This plaza was filled with people literally throwing up their middle fingers to the White House. This is the kind of movement you and I have built. And see, <laughs> this is why we have to call out these fake progressives. Because Muriel Bowser has a reputation across the U.S. for supposedly being progressive, Lies. particularly since she painted Black Lives Matter on that street that's behind you. 
Oh, man, she even inspired her, you know, fellow Democrats in New York and elsewhere. All around the country, people were painting on the street, right? Here's the thing. Muriel Bowser loves the police. And we know this because she supports the police every single time they brutalize or kill someone. When the D.C. police killed Raphael Briscoe, Bowser supported them. When they killed Terrence Sterling, she supported them. When they killed Daquan Young, she supported them. When they killed Marquise Austin, she supported them. When they killed Karan Hilton, she supported them. When they killed Jeffrey Price, she supported them. Matter of fact, back in 2020, during that election period, who was she supporting? Mike Bloomberg a billionaire who was the mayor of New York City who is best known for carrying through stop and frisk this brutally, viciously violent and racist tactic of policing. You were so-called progressive, but this is what you do. So you see, you and I have no help coming from those elements, none. You can hang it up, man, but that's all right. Because the strongest weapon that a movement has, the strongest weapon that poor working and oppressed people have had is organization. That's right. And this is the weapon that we must use in the struggle. Talk about it. Against racist police terror in this country. So you and I have to be very clear about this. And we have to show that we're going to be consistent and firm as we continue to build this movement. Now, people look back to 2020, and some of them look back on it with sadness. They say, oh man, we were in the streets all day fighting, making it happen, but we don't see those kinds of demonstrations anymore. My friends, this is the nature of movements. They all have peaks and valleys, periods of high activity, periods of low activity. So the question is, what do we do in the meantime when we're not at a peak? What do we do when we're in a valley? We do what we're doing right now. We build. We continue to enrich and embolden our struggle, our movement, and our organizations so that we can be prepared to meet the threat being meted out by this vicious capitalist state. And my friends, ultimately we have to understand that a police institution that emerges out of this kind of capitalist system this capitalist system that needs white supremacy to operate. That's right. A capitalist system that needs exploitation, oppression to operate, right? A police institution that emerges from a system like that cannot be reformed. The police cannot be reformed. They can't be reformed any more than the capitalist system itself can be reformed. And this is 
the usual ritual, isn't it? Whenever there's an incident of racist police terror, there's a killing, there's resistance, the state comes with some tepid reform and we're supposed to celebrate, and then it's washed, rinse, and repeat. But you see, my friends, if what we want is a final and conclusive end to racist police terror in the United States, then what you and I have to do is overturn the system that generates this racist police terror. You and I, you and I have to fight to overturn this capitalist system. We have to bring in a system whose chief priority is the interest of humanity and not profits. Because under capitalism, the, the chief priority is not only generating profits, but maximizing profits at any cost, including a human cost. That last voice was Sean Blackman of the Party for Socialism and Liberation speaking at Lafayette Square in front of the White House on January 27, 2023. This is On the Ground. I'm Esther Averam. Stay with us. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the Nation's Capital. I'm Esther Averam. And for a deeper dive into the issues of the day, I'm joined by our geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn, Professor of History and African American Studies at the University of Houston, and the author of more than 40 books, including most recently, The Counter-Revolution of 1836, Texas Slavery and Jim Crow, and the Roots of U.S. Fascism. Welcome back to the show, Gerald. Thank you. Well, I think it's really been a very devastating start to the year for people striving for peace and freedom. And I guess I mean peace and freedom, not just for people here in the United States, but all over the world. And, you know, when we have these discussions, we could talk about places all over the world, places that are perhaps never discussed, that are experiencing U.S. backed or U.S. involved acts of physical violence and terrorism like Yemen, the Congo, Somalia, Haiti, Palestine, or even economic violence. I'm thinking about the sanctions and piracy, you know, which often kills more people than physical violence in places like Venezuela, Iran, or Afghanistan. But as I watched this really heart-wrenching funeral for Tyree Nichols on Wednesday and the outpouring of righteous anger in this country, over the racist and like brutal, broken system of policing, I couldn't help but think that this is a a moment of greater clarity for the larger African-American community here about the systemic nature of the brutality of policing and the racist nature of policing and how it represents state violence. 
Well, certainly we need to contemplate seriously the link between brutality and violence at home and the same phenomenon abroad. That occurred to me as I was monitoring the trip to historic Palestine of Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, and it reminds us all that in these settler regimes, be they Israel or the United States, they involve uprooting the indigenous in the first instance, which of course involves violence. So they are ignited by violence. It's no secret that within the current Netanyahu regime, uh, there is a faction that would like to see an expulsion, a so-called final remedy to the Palestinian question, uh, a la 1947-1948, but carried forward in the 21st century. In the United States, we know that the expulsion and the liquidation of the indigenous was then magnified by the forcible uh, implantation of Africans, enslaved Africans, which then helps to undergird the Second Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, uh, which involves the ultimate the rationale and juridical basis for mass shootings that have taken place most recently in California. And it also represents, I'm afraid to say, that the Second Amendment was based upon arming settlers so that they could more effectively repress revolts by the Africans and the indigenous. And so what we see is that the right wing today has taken that a step further by saying, don't tamper with the Second Amendment because the right wing wants to preserve the option of overthrowing a government they do not approve of by a mass armed insurrection, that is to say, carrying through on what Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene intimated just weeks ago when she suggested that if she had been in charge of the January 6, 2021 assault on the Capitol, it would have succeeded because her comrades would have been armed. And so we see that there has been this triad since the late 18th century. First of all, armed settler militias to repress the indigenous and the Africans. Then when slavery is abolished, you see the rise of lynch mobs to repress the Africans in particular. And then under international pressure, particularly as symbolized by Memphis's own Ida B. Wells Barnett, the heroic journalist and anti-lynching crusader who took our cause abroad, you see a retreat to a degree of lynching, but then it materializes once more post-1945 in the form of lynch mobs in blue, which is basically what we witnessed in Memphis just a few days ago. I'm afraid to say that this violence has been exported overseas, as your opening comments suggested. Uh, what's curious is that when the United States wages war in the Philippines and one of the first escapades of U.S. imperialism at the end of the 19th century, the military men in charge oftentimes had been Confederate officers during the U.S. Civil War or had been leaders of the genocide against the Native Americans in the 1870s and the 1880s. And what's even more striking 
is that just as you had these black men in blue who were lynching Mr. Nichols, in the Philippines, the U.S. authorities trained the so-called Philippine scouts in the dark arts of waterboarding to be used against the guerrillas that the U.S. military was confronting. The problem, amongst others in this country, is that just as you have a split on the left with regard to Ukraine, you have a split on the left with regard to what I've just articulated. Uh, There is a faction on the left that objects strenuously to the idea that somehow uh, slavery and genocide marred the immaculate conception, supposedly, of the United States of America. And... uh, Until we're able to surmount this hurdle, we won't be able to confront effectively Governor DeSantis of Florida, uh, who is seeking to circumscribe the teaching of African-American history, uh, nor Governor Youngkin, a stone's throw from where you're sitting in the state of Virginia. Uh, Vice President Kamala Harris uh, attended the funeral and the uh, Reverend Al Sharpton invited her up to the podium to make some comments. And, uh, of course, you know, I'm thinking about her role as a prosecutor, uh, you know, often victimizing uh, low-income people of color, you know, in California, most famously people whose children had been truants, just that sort of thing, and kind of laughing about it to her donors uh, as she campaigned. But you have certainly hit home several times the the contradictory and hypocritical role of the Congressional Black Caucus, people like Representative Jeffrey Meeks of Queens, who has sponsored this legislation to target African countries if they don't toe the line for U.S. imperialism. And so many of these moments right now, they're combining grief with the realization of how broken the system is, uh, not only in terms of policing, but in terms of the what is supposed to be black leadership and uh, not drawing these ties between the fact that we can't victimize people abroad, we can't send weapons abroad and, and drone our countries in Africa and foment coups, not only in Africa, but throughout the world, and then just to cry the violence against us here. So I was just really struck by that. And I didn't know if you had any thoughts about tying some of these the recent conversations we've had around U.S. foreign policy and what's happening now. And, and you know, before uh, Tyree Nichols was murdered, you know, we had uh, cases all over the country in Los Angeles and here in D.C. with actually a, a black vigilante targeting a, a, a boy, really, a black boy. We had uh, all these mass killings, dozens of mass killings from the start of this year. So that also makes me think about the comments you just made about the Second Amendment and how, you know, there's all types of blowback right now, you know, internationally and right here at home. Well, obviously, we need that sort of discussion to link the domestic and the global. And certainly Congressman Gregory Meeks of Southeast Queens, New York, is out of step with his district and should likely be subjected to a primary challenge in 2024 from the left. But what you say also reminds us that 
we should be considering other remedies besides the tried and true. For example, I know that there are community groups in Brooklyn that have been huddling with the Cuban ambassador to the United Nations, speaking of Pedro Pedroso, who happens to be of African descent. They need to raise with him the idea of Cuba seeking to ignite a debate in the United Nations General Assembly, invoking this tattered principle, the right to protect or responsibility to protect that the United States invoked when they invaded with their NATO allies, Libya, in 2011, supposedly because the Tripoli regime was not protecting its citizens. Well, certainly the United States is not protecting its black citizenry. And so Mm -hmm. therefore, we need to put international pressure on the United States to that end. But how can we do so when we have our representatives in Congress who are clamoring against the very countries who would likely speak up in our behalf. Uh, That's one of the reasons why this global effort at the United Nations should be accompanied by a domestic primary challenge, not only to Mr. Meeks, but also to other representatives of the Congressional Black Caucus who likewise are out of step with their constituencies. I wanted to catch up on, because I know that there's some new efforts at the United Nations and that certainly during the first wave of these police murders and the emergence of the Black Lives Matter movement, we saw the parents of Michael Brown go to the United Nations to make their case about some of these same things that you're talking about. But I think that there's a new commission or there's a new effort spearheaded from the United Nations around the issues of people of African descent, uh, separate from this, the decade statement that people are trying to join in and uh, take part in. Can you give us some details about that? Well, I know that there are all manner of international efforts, including human rights investigations, but there's nothing like a debate at the General Assembly to put the spotlight on this bleeding sore that is police terror against Black people in this country. It takes place in the media capital of the United States, speaking of New York City. It compels uh, many countries to come to the podium and excoriate the horrors of U.S. white supremacy and racism. And it takes place at a moment when there is this gradual transition away from the centuries-long hegemony of the North Atlantic countries, now led by the United States of America. And so it would provide a further push in the direction of hastening this uh, long-awaited, long-overdue transition away from the dominance of U.S. imperialism. Before we wind up, Gerald, I wanted to definitely, because I haven't had a chance to talk to you since the governor of Florida began with his most recent tirade against U.S. history, African-American history, the, the types of origins that you mentioned a few minutes ago. We know that in recent weeks he outlawed or banned an African-American studies AP placement course which is really handicapping the ability of black and white students to have this credit to go on and and study African-American studies or black studies 
uh, at the college level, you know, to have that boost that an AP course would give them in high school to go on and study. So he's, he's kind of doing two things. He's, he's taking away these courses and very important uh, scholarly works from, from people like you, other people who have created written histories and analysis that really document the history of people African people in this country, but around the world. But he's also, in a sense, handicapping the ability of people to go on and study. And yeah, sure, they can, but not with this boost that an AP course would give them. Well, anyway, I saw earlier this week, I saw on January 31st, I should say, an article that read, uh, and this is from Common Dreams, DeSantis targets diversity programs, tenured professors, and unhinged attack on higher ed. And it goes on to say, taking aim yet again at higher education, Republican Florida Governor Ron DeSantis on Tuesday proposed sweeping changes to the state's university system, including banning state funding for diversity, equity and inclusion programs and critical race theory education, as well as forcing tenured professors to undergo reviews at any time. And this is is what he said at a press conference at the State College of Florida in Bradenton. So from your vantage point, I mean, you know, what what kind of impact is this this continued attack having? And, you know, the media, corporate media calls it a culture war. But I think for many of us, it's more than a culture war. It's actually an ex- existential war. He is really kind of debating or trying to hold up to question you know, the, our very existence. And I think he said it at one point in the discussion, his announcement around the AP course is that this wasn't worthy of, uh, it wasn't of any importance. It wasn't of any academic importance or whatever. And, you know, the kind of the dog whistle there is that he's saying that black people aren't of any importance. Well, it's obviously very ominous, very dangerous. I think that Pacifica should see this as an attack on its mission insofar as the kinds of approaches to history that Governor DeSantis is objecting to are precisely the kinds of analyses that you're more likely to hear on Pacifica and less likely to hear anywhere else. And it's not only Governor DeSantis. I mentioned Governor Youngkin of Virginia, who you may recall got elected on a platform of campaigning against the late novelist, Toni Morrison, because he argued that little Jennifer and little Johnny would be traumatized by reading her work. And so therefore she should be banished from the curriculum. Uh, You know, I'm sure that the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, they've decided to establish an entirely new college peopled and populated by conservative professors in literature, in history, etc., so that these budding war criminals can get the proper education for their dastardly mission uh, between the ages of 18 and 22. And now, Hmm. when I saw the Hollywood blockbuster Woman King just the other day, it occurred to me why this is taking place, because your audience may know that it deals in part with an armed brigade of women who were seeking to repel enslavers in West Africa in the early 19th century. And the message, which is should be obvious, is that Black people coming across the Atlantic to work for free was not their dream. That was not their idea of the good life. And so 
any adequate or accurate teaching of black history tends to invalidate the rather romanticized narrative that Governor DeSantis would like to force down the throats of students in the K through 12 and college years. And so that is why he's campaigning. And he feels apparently that if he's successful in his mission, it will help to create more right-wing automatons who are more likely to cast a ballot for him for his presidential race expected in 2024. Well, hopefully that won't happen. (laughs) And uh, we know that there are also uh, lawsuits targeting this type of uh, censorship and the banning of books in Florida and the, the, the dastardly plan of Ron DeSantis to try to erase history. Well, Gerald, when we think about uh, people trying to er- erase history or, you know, control the narrative and the kind of information war, sometimes I've called it a psyop on this show, that makes me uh, want to wind up again with the big story of the day, which remains the war, what we call the U.S. proxy war, the U.S. NATO proxy war against Russia and Ukraine. It has ratcheted up, escalated to new heights with the promises of sending tanks, I guess, fulfilling the fevered wishes of President Zelensky of Ukraine to enmesh NATO and the U.S. further and further into this war. But it also represents the fact that things aren't going quite as the U.S. and NATO had planned. Well, that's the understatement of the year so far. (laughs) You may have seen the report from the International Monetary Fund, which suggests that Russian economic growth this year will outstrip Britain's economic growth. And of course, Britain is a major hawk with regard to this conflict. I'm sure you paid attention to the study by RAND, a complementary study by the Center for Strategic and International Studies that raised searching and profound questions about how this U.S. intervention in Ukraine will impact the fortunes of U.S. imperialism, particularly since there are insistent voices from various sectors of the ruling class, which are wondering how the Biden regime can square their notion that China is the ball game and China is the priority on the foreign policy plane, but yet these tax dollars and the billions are going to this rat hole of corruption in Ukraine at the same time that homelessness continues to stalk the land in this country. Not to mention the grumbling from the so-called allies, particularly in Berlin, which is quite concerned with the fact that Poland is being armed to the teeth, not least by the United States of America, because it's the entry point for many of these weapons, supposedly, that will be directed to Ukraine. At the same time, Poland is pressing a reparations claim against Germany for over a trillion dollars based upon Berlin's depredations there uh, 80 odd years ago. And likewise, Poland has allies with the Baltic republics, particularly his historic ally, that is to say Lithuania. So there is real concern about where this conflict is headed and how you can reconcile it with this companion notion that there should be a new Cold War against China. Right. Well, yeah, I think it's 100 billion and counting 
going from the United States, our tax dollars to Ukraine. And that may not include monies coming from other NATO countries <laughs> at this point. So yes, I think that we might hear more about that from, you know, commentators like you, you know, as we, you know, listen to uh, Biden's uh, State of the Union address on February 7th. And so uh, hopefully, you know, I can look forward to that and our listeners can too. I hope so. Okay. I've been speaking to our geopolitical analyst, Professor Gerald Horn. Thank you for joining me today, Gerald. Thank you. And that's it for today's show. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance from the nation's capital. We're on two dozen stations on the Pacifica Radio Network and on all your podcast platforms at On the Ground with Esther Averam. Our website and archive of all of our shows is onthegroundshow.org. In addition, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and I also link to every show on my Instagram page at Esther underscore Averam, I-V like Victor, E-R. E.M. like Mary. Special thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon.com at On The Ground Show. The music we play this hour included Who'll Pay Reparations For My Soul by Gil Scott Heron, Hell No We Ain't Alright by Chuck D, and Street Fighter Moss by Kamasi Washington. Our theme music is Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. I'm Esther Averam. Until next time, take good care and keep raising your voice. Peace. If you are an on-the-ground listener and you have not yet subscribed to our Patreon page, please consider becoming a member on Patreon. Help me to continue doing the show and to encourage me. It is really rough. (laughs) And I just would like to have more resources to do the show. And I'd like to be able to provide training for our volunteers, And just give more assistance to the folks who are helping to produce the show and going out to cover things and just have more resources for our production. And I can only do that with more help. We are an independent production. I am not funded by any big, you know, foundations or anything like that. And we don't have advertising, as you can see. So this is a people-powered project. And if you can assist and you can support. I would love that. You can go to our Patreon page or you can go to PayPal and give. You could also send a check. But if you sign up at Patreon, you'll be on the list to get an email in your inbox every week in terms of the news and you'll get exclusive content. So that's that's the best way. But uh, if you go to onthegroundshow.org to the donate page, it would also tell you all the ways that you can give. I thank you so much.